When a group of construction workers attempt to knock down a haunted school, they have a choice to make. Leave the job site, or become one of the ghosts themselves. And then we travel to Paris to take a look at a bizarre string of disappearances. Is it possible that a maniac is living in the catacombs underneath the city? Or is the answer far more monstrous? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I am not having a great day, but I hope you're having a great day. I'm actually sick. I'm a little bit under the weather, but <laughs> I'll get to it. It's probably COVID. It's probably a little more than under the weather, but before we get into that, let's introduce today's Patreon supporter. He's like, no, no, I don't want to come in. You're totally contagious. Come on in. Everyone give a round of applause for John Shelton. John walking in in full quarantine gear. John, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Now I'm going to run over and give John a big old hug. Oh, I'm so glad you're supporting the show. He's like, ah, stop it, stop it. I'm sick. I don't know if it's COVID because I can't get a test to like, they're like $100 or the government will send me a free one in like seven days. That's ridiculous. It's going to take forever. So I, I, I assume that I have it. I have a couple of the symptoms. I have the runny nose. I have general just sort, like my body hurts. It feels like the flu, but it's like in my joints that hurts. Brain fog, I've been having that. I can't say that my taste buds are completely gone, but food tastes bland. However, I've been eating really bland food. I've been eating chicken noodle soup and freezer bread. Bread that I threw in the freezer about a month ago so it didn't go bad, so I don't know how that's supposed to taste anyways. And then there's this other weird symptom I have. Every, I don't know hour or so I get this searing pain in my head like right in my forehead I just feel like this burning pain and it's almost like I, I like almost collapse to my knees and then I'm on Jupiter and there's this huge black cube in the sky and a figure steps out of it its wrists are slit open and these veins go for miles right into my mouth, and I'm just sucking on them, and I can feel pure COVID entering into my bloodstream. And I look up at this entity, this new god. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. And I continue to just suck on these veins, and I just feel so powerful. And then Dr. <laughs> Dr. Fauci shows up and he starts shaking when he goes, resist it, son, resist it, wake up, we need you. And, and then I'm just sitting back in my living room. So I don't know what's up with that. I don't know. I, I checked the CDC. That wasn't listed as one of their symptoms. You know, it's funny. I w- as, as, I've, as I've been dealing with my brain melting due to COVID, obviously, I've, a couple times that has not happened. But a couple times I found myself just walking in circles in my living room trying to remember what I'm trying to do. I was thinking that would be a great conspiracy theory, right? That the COVID is some sort of alien. We talked about it's COVID from space, but what if COVID was an alien invasion type scenario? That'd be a really cool conspiracy theory. Or you could say like COVID is the next stage of human life and the vaccine's supposed to stop. But you could go either way, depending on how you felt about COVID or vaccines and stuff like that. You could make up whatever story you wanted to. But I thought... Where's where's the where's the pizzazz? Where is the razzmatazz in our conspiracy theories? COVID as this alien organism invading Earth. That's a good conspiracy theory. It's not true. 
is my eyes my shift from side to side and they glow little COVID, little co cartoon COVID things in my pupils. But yeah, that would be cool if conspiracy theories were more like more action packed, but they're not. I'm just sick. And this is what happens when you have COVID. Apparently you're like, oh, I wish reality was different. I do feel my memory is fading, but I haven't forgotten our Patreon supporter. <laughs> he snuck out. He snuck out during that spooky diatribe. John, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to Austin, Texas. The year is 1990, and we're pulling up in this old Jason Jalopy. Eep! And we're outside the Mets Elementary School. Now, this school has stood in place for 75 years. Now, Metz Elementary School for the past 75 years has been a place of joy and wonderment for these little kiddos to run in with their backpacks and learn about the world and to learn about, like, reading and stuff like that. But it's time to tear it down. They're <laughs> like, no more education. We're no longer going to teach kids in Austin, Texas. You have to go to another state to learn. They're going to destroy Metz Elementary School. So the school is shut down and the Torres Construction Company is brought in. But right when they start doing this demolition work, strange things begin to happen. You'd have people climbing up ladders and they're up there, they're like pulling down rain gutters, throwing stuff. There's really unsafe, really unsafe construction company. They're like, catch, they're throwing nails at people, blow them off. When these workers are up on these ladders, they would feel someone shaking them at the bottom. Whoa, whoa, and they'd look down and there'd be nobody there. Sometimes, that was, those were the lucky ones. Sometimes people would be up on ladders, you know, pulling out light bulbs and electrical fixtures and stuff like that. And some unknown force would actually sweep the ladder away from underneath them. They'd fall to the ground. Ah, they're holding light bulbs in each hand. Ah! So you had workers start to be really, really superstitious about what's going on. Why are these ladders keep falling down? Now, maybe they're buying cheap ladders. Who knows? But people start to go, ah, maybe I don't want to be on ladder duty today. But that wasn't the only problem. Bulldozers, as they're coming towards the school, smoke belching into the air, guy working the gears. As it would get closer and closer to the school, the bulldozer would break down. Bulldozers were falling apart, not like comically, but they just stopped working as they approached the school. Now, you're trying to run a job site, and you have a bunch of people who are spooked out. This is not a good mixture. Elementary schools, they can be a place of magic, because these little kids, they don't know anything about the world. They're learning new stuff every day. But at the same time, they're super spooky. Libraries are spooky. Schools are spooky. These liminal spaces are always spooky when they're empty. You have these construction workers going in down these hallways and these empty classrooms and things like that. And they're getting creeped out. And you start to think, listen, yeah, the bulldozers are breaking down. The ladders are falling apart. But guys, there's no ghosts here. That's I, what you're thinking is not happening. They're like, ghosts? I didn't even think about that. Well, anyways, ghosts aren't happening here. These are just coincidences. These are just various malfunctions. But then the sightings begin. As these workers would walk into empty classrooms, they would see weird writings scrawled across the chalkboards. Oh, that's just Benny, the, the guy we just hired. <laughs> I suspiciously fired before any one of you met him, fellow workers. I hired this guy named Benny, and he wrote those weird scribbles. I think he was Egyptian or something. Forget the weird scribbles, the foreman said. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe. And then there was a worker who was working in one of the restrooms. 
<laughs> the worker turns around and he sees a little kid looking out through one of the bathroom stalls. <laughs> so now <laughs> they're like, Foreman, did you hire a little child as well from Egypt? I saw a little kid in the bathroom and there have not been any kids here. It's been weeks since we've been working on this school. And I saw a little kid hiding in the bathroom. What is up with that? So at that point, the foreman had no excuse, because otherwise his excuse would be violating child labor laws. So half the crew quit. Half the crew was like, you know what, I'll go get a job tearing down some other building. I quit. And the rest who stayed to work made a compromise. We'll stay to work, but we will not work inside the building. And the foreman's like, you, can't, you have to be inside to destroy the building, right? It's not a comic book. You just can't drive a bulldozer and the entire building just becomes a pancake. You have to go in there. They refused. So the tourist construction company called in an exorcist to perform an exorcism on the school. And finally, the foreman, who's actually Joe Torres himself, the foreman goes, okay, are you happy now? We had this guy come through and he exercised the place. And will you go inside to work now? And the workers are like, yeah, I guess. So they start going back into the school. Shortly after that, one of the co-owners of Torres Construction Company was working in the school himself, and a wall collapsed on him. Killed him on the spot. Even with that death on the scene, the workers continued to do it, and the school was finally torn down completely six months behind schedule. It took them that much longer to get rid of the 75-year-old elementary school <laughs> Probably, I'm surprised it didn't take longer if they only had half their workforce. Now, a falling wall to you and me is supernatural in and of itself, right? Like, if you were at your work, you're a mailman, you're driving your car, and a wall fell on you, that would be the most bizarre way to go, I think, for most people's profession. But as a construction worker, as a demolition expert, it's a hazard of the job. So people, although they were suspicious and they did see all these ghosts and things like that, the exorcism had happened, and people go, well, maybe the wall just fell accidentally. I mean, they did knock out the other three walls, and this one was all dusty and barely leaning. He shouldn't have been there, but maybe it was just it was just an unfortunate accident. It's part of the industry. After the elementary school was completely torn down, Joe Torres, now probably the sole owner of Torres Construction, takes a tree from the school site. He goes, I really like this tree. It's all soaked in the blood of all of his co-workers. He's like, oh, it's so pretty in spring. He takes this tree, and he plants it in the front yard of his daughter's home. It's just such a pretty tree, apparently. And a, re and a reminder who's really in charge, who really owns Torres Construction. To this day, people say when you drive past his daughter's house, you'll see this tree in her front yard. And sometimes you'll hear the sound of children playing. Peekaboo! <laughs> Can you trade me those Pokemon cards? Here's a Charizard for two Mewtwo's. Um, yeah, if you go by her house, you'll hear little kids outside. It's not her kids. Her kids are playing next to the tree. They're getting possessed. The tree, like, you can hear the sounds of laughter and little kids playing jump rope and stuff like that. Very, very interesting ghost story. I got it from my favorite book, the book Haunted Places, the National Directory. You can buy it on Amazon. I got a link in the show notes. It's not an affiliate link. Just buy it. It's a great book. And then I did some additional research online. Great ghost story. The question that I have about this stuff, because this one has, this is a really good ghost story, and it's very recent, and it has a lot of specific names. So I started thinking, is it real? I always think that, obviously, but this was one that we might be able to dig into. Is this an urban legend? Is it an actual ghost story? Well, I was able to find 
A news article in a newspaper called the Austin American Statesman. It was published on August 27, 1992 by John Bryant. And in the, let me read you this quote. This is really fascinating, again, because even though it's recent and this story takes place in the 1990s, memories fade and not everyone keeps a complete archive. I'm actually really lucky I was able to find that. So the story I just told you is repeated in ghost lore. National Directory of Haunted Places will find other ghost sites that tell you the story. This is from an actual newspaper. This is from a legitimate news source. Quote, in spite of nationally publicized rumors, so this was a big story at the time, in spite of nationally publicized rumors that the Mets site is haunted by ghosts of children who had died in the school, the new campus opened smoothly Tuesday with no need for Ghostbusters. Unquote. Really, really interesting. So these reports were real. At the time, this was a an event that was actually going on. Now it doesn't it I'm it doesn't say anyone died at the site. That was one thing that I was curious about as well. On the one hand, if someone died on the site of a haunted school, you think that would be written. And they're like, and kids, as you're going into this new school, remember a man died where the cafeteria now is. Like on the one hand, you think they would go after the tragic death of one of the owners. The school was still open. But, so that part of the story may be made up. We don't know. But this was national news when it was going on. In spite of nationally publicized rumors. So this was good. That's really, really interesting, isn't it? That's what I love. That's one of the things I really love about this job. Is just taking the ghost stories and then digging into it. So yeah. Parts of this story were true. The one question I have is whether or not the owner, the co-owner died. But there were workers walking off the job site because they thought this place was haunted. So the stories were there. This is not just an urban legend. It was going. It was being reported on as it was happening. Why? See, in my, for me, I don't mind collecting haunted items. I don't mind collecting haunted items. So if I found the tree at a haunted house, I would take it. <laughs> They're like, Jason, that's my tree. I'm running away, running away. Then I'm like, your house is full of ghosts. I want this tree. But I don't think I would would give it to my daughter. I want to be like, here you go, honey. To show that I love you so much, I'm going to give you this thing that is going to take root in your front yard and be possessed with the souls of the damned. I I wouldn't do that to somebody else. So I find that interesting. So I'm wondering if Joe Torres probably was one of the guys who just didn't believe there were ghosts, got the exorcist because he had to. And he's like, whatever, I don't believe in ghosts. And then even though he's ignorant of that, there are ghosts there, he's giving his daughter a haunted tree. So if you're in Austin, Texas, just drive drive around the area. Driving around the area with your windows rolled down really late at night. And slow down whenever you see a tree in someone's front yard. And listen really carefully. Either you'll hear the whispers of dead children tickle your eardrums. Or you will hear the sirens of police as they're wondering why someone's driving around at three in the morning super slow in front of people's houses. Either way, it'll be an interesting night. A night you'll never forget. John, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Austin, Texas before any of these ghost kids can hitch a ride. We're headed all the way out to Paris. Now I gotta be—I gotta be honest with you guys. I actually told this story before. I, I told it as a footnote. I told it as a five-minute story at the end of like episode forty-nine. And uh, I love this story. I love it. I actually thought that I had covered it again later in the run of the show, and I realized that I hadn't. So I wanted to go ahead and let the story breathe a bit. And if you haven't—if you haven't listened to episode forty-nine, this will all be new to you. 
I remember reading this story in the Fordian Times, and I was absolutely transfixed. We're in Paris, France. Specifically, we're in the 14th arrondissement of Paris, in the neighborhood of Isor. And what happens? It's 1894, and this is just a little town. It's like a neighborhood in Paris, and people are just walking around, drinking coffee, eating baguettes, doing French stuff. But every so often, somebody goes missing. Doesn't happen all the time, but the police are supposed to investigate it, right? And they're not just like, oh, we wait for three people to go missing before we start to work. What happens is about once a year, for the past four years, someone has gone missing in Isor. There's no correlation between their sex or their age, but it always happens between March 20th and March 31st. And it's never a child. Those are the only things that they know. It's happened four times. It doesn't matter, boy or girl. But it's actually not a boy or girl. It's a man or a woman. And it happens in that time period. So, now remember, this is... Like, Jack the Ripper was operating in 1888. So just... Man, just six years earlier was kind of the birth of the modern serial killer. So it would have been super... Like, nowadays, if this happened, you would immediately start to suspect a serial killer just because of the weird date range. You're like, is this the time that the guy has free time? He's like, oh, honey, I'm going to go down to Isor and uh, start murdering people just for a week. Then i got to get back to work. But this the serial killers weren't really a phenomenon back then. But the police still have to figure this out because people go missing in this area. And since March was coming up, it's 1894, and it's coming up to March 20th, the French police are just swamping this area. And at 3 a.m., there's an officer. We're going to call him Officer Tyler. So Tyler, this French police officer, is walking down the street. It's 3 a.m. He's twirling around his billy club, and he's just his feet are on the cobblestones. Clip, clip, clip. Clippity-clop. Clippity-clop. And off in the distance, he hears... <laughs> doesn't actually have the sheet music for what the melody was, but he hears a strange melody coming from somewhere in Isor. And he's walking through the streets. It's 3 a.m. All the apple stands are shut for the night. People are sleeping. Smoke stacks in the distance. Belching up black smoke. Chimney sweeps dancing around. All the, all the stuff that you would assume back in 1994. Following the sound, he comes to the tomb of Isor. So the neighborhood of Isor is named after this tomb of a guy named Isor. What this is, I know this is super complicated. You're like getting at your notes. You're like, oh, Jason, first off, I don't think you're pronouncing any of this right. I'm surprised you got Paris right. Anyways, so here's what happened. I could almost do a separate story on this. So I'm going to have to tr try to get this packed in here. This is fascinating in and of itself. In this location, there is a place called the Tomb of Isor, a.k.a. the Giant's Cave. And this tomb is directly connected to the Paris catacombs. So underneath the city of Paris, there's this massive series of tunnels 
that have a bunch of bodies in them. They've been using it to store bodies for hundreds of years, really. You can go down there. You can get lost down there. There's tours. It's super spooky. There's been a ton of movies, horror movies, based on that place. And, and just historical accounts underneath the city of Paris, you have all of these bones. I don't even think the catacombs have been fully explored, honestly. So you have the Tomb of Isor, a.k.a. the Giant's Cave. And the story is, was, there's a giant buried there. The story goes that before the Christian era, there was a race of giants in the area. And one of these giants was named Isor, and he actually was a, a brigand. He would rob people as they were moving through this area of France. He, this wasn't this wasn't like a place with bakeries and delis at the time. It was just like a, a road. And this because this was before Jesus was born, right? This was before France was even a thing. There was this giant who would waylay travelers and smash their heads open and take all their stuff. And eventually, the people in the area were like, uh, "We got to do something about this. He's gonna kill us all." So they actually assaulted him, and they killed him. And he was so huge, he was so giant, they couldn't move his body. Now, I would have probably just, like, chopped him up and walked I put his legs on, and he's, like, still, so I'm like, look at me. I'm a giant now. But they didn't do that. They're not super disgusting and macabre. They buried him where he laid. And that is the giant's tomb. And what's really interesting is France is... Fran so the Basque people were there before there were French people there. And the Basque people have legends that before the birth of Christ, the whole area was run by giants. And when the star of Bethlehem shone in the sky, saying that it was time for the Messiah to be born, the giants said, time to leave. New dude in town. We're not allowed here anymore. And they left. That's an old Basque legend. We talked about that on another episode. I'm Basque, so I did a whole episode about Basque Christmas traditions. But yeah, that's a really cool parallel because it does match the same thing. Now, in the Basque legend, the giants just left. This dude got, this dude got attacked by a bunch of people stabbing him. But it, it is an area that is known for giants. And nowadays, you can go to this area in France, the Isor neighborhood, and they have a statue of Isor on the side of a building. It's three stories tall. It's about 30 feet tall. And the statue's him sitting down. So this dude was massive. It would have taken an entire village, or maybe a couple of them if he was waylaying travelers, to take this dude down. But the Giant's Cave, and there actually is provenance of giants active in this area pre-Christian era. Just a really interesting side note. Almost deserving of its own story, but... What was this officer's name? <laughs> I totally went off on a whole giant thing. What was the, the cop's name? Tyler is walking through the street, and he hears this... He hears this melody and he sees the tomb of Isor. Now, there was this giant boulder that was placed on his tomb to mark this is where he was buried. And it's also this boulder leads down into the catacombs. When the officer, who's familiar with this area, when he gets there, he realizes the boulder is slightly moved away. And the song is coming from within the darkness of this tomb. Clippity-clop, clop. Clippity-clop, clop. That's when he hears the sound of somebody else walking down these streets. These previously deserted city streets. And he turns and he sees this man walking in tune to the music. Do-do-do-do. Clippity-clop. 
Clippity clop. He's doing a little dance move. Now he's he's breakdancing. He's moving in tune to this music, and the cop is watching this. He watches this man, and he's walking towards the opening in the tomb. And as the man is getting closer, the music gets a little faster, and the man picks up his pace. Before Tyler can even react to what's going on, the man is now broken out into a full sprint. The song's become dubstep. And he broke out into a full sprint and he ran into the darkness of the cave. Tyler grabs his revolver, click, gets his whistle. This is long before radios were invented. They didn't even know about two tin cans and a string. He gets his whistle. That whistle carried for miles. And all the other cops who were on their own little streets trying to prevent another missing person hear that whistle. And police from all over begin to head towards the Tomb of Eyesore. Tyler, though, is unsure if they'll get there in time. So with his revolver ready, he also runs into the darkness of the tomb. By the time the other officers show up, the singing is done. There's no more melody coming from the tomb. But, I mean, they're police officers. They can, they can kind of figure it out. They got an alert of a whistle of a fellow officer in the area. They see the boulder moved aside. They see the darkness of this cave. Get some ropes. Get some ladders, guys. Bring the torches. Let's go. And these guys, these guys are a bit smarter than Tyler. They begin to very carefully go into the tomb. They realize quickly that when you walk in, it's not like a cave. It's a pit. So they realize that getting the ladders and the ropes were necessary. They see it's a real steep drop-off. So they start climbing down on the ropes. They have their torches. And in the darkness, they see a man on his back squirming. One of the officers is holding the torch up. Hoping to get a better look. Is that their fellow officer? Do they recognize the uniform? And then... <laughs> they see it. A massive spider. Barely illuminated by the torchlight. <laughs> is standing over the man on the ground. They said it was the size of a terrier. This was a 50 pound spider. In the darkness with its legs flicking upwards. And on the end of each of these legs, unlike a normal spider, it had claws. Its abdomen was covered in thick, bristly hair. And giant, wart-like growths seemed to protrude out of its body at random places. This creature is so focused on its task, it doesn't even realize that its lair has been invaded by all these police officers. In the darkness, there's only two sounds that could be heard. The flickering flames of the torches and the sound of blood being drained out of a living human. Shock is replaced with anger. The officers all ready their revolvers and just light this suit up. (laughs) 
Greenish fluid begins shooting out of its wounded abdomen. The spider turns and raises its arms, trying to snap and bite at these guys, but it's no match for lead penetrating its body. And the spider dies. Some of the police officers run towards the man who is dead now. He had enough blood drained from his body that he's not going to make it. And then in the darkness, they see, they see Tyler, who, in his good-hearted nature, trying to save this guy, ran and fell. Because remember, it was a pit. He didn't know it was a pit. He ran and he fell about 30 feet, and he was unconscious. He was not there for the final shootout. Well, he was there, but he was just laying on the ground, and he was able to be rescued. He actually made it. They finally bring him back to the surface, and as Tyler regains consciousness... He looks up at the beautiful Paris night sky. He realizes that he was just moments away from dying in a pitch black hole. Devoured by a monster. A beast. Devoured by the singing spider of the Paris catacombs. I love it. I love this type of stuff. I remember reading this a long time ago in the Fordian Times. I was transfixed. It was as if the article was singing to myself. Is it true though? Right, that's always the question I like to ask. It's not always a question we can have an answer to. This one, this was published in the newspaper. This was published in the newspaper back on September 14th, 1894, in the Ann Arbor Argus, which is a real newspaper. What's really interesting about old-timey newspapers? This is something we see a lot about old giant stories, old newspapers that have photos of giants. Back then, and even today, honestly, but back then, newspapers made stuff up. Back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, you had people just completely making stuff up to sell newspapers. This article, this story is published in one newspaper that anyone can find, and it's the Ann Arbor Argus, which is an American newspaper in Ann Arbor. So, is the story true? It does give us some interesting clues at the end of the article. Let's take a look at this. It goes on to explain that this spider is known as the Arachne Giganus. It's a giant spider that was believed to be extinct. Spiders used to be able to get this big, apparently, when oxygen levels were different. Like, prehistoric spiders were bigger than the spiders are today. So they said that these things used to be able to exist, they don't now. And that, apparently, after this event, scientists started to believe that these spiders may exist in the Paris catacombs. They say that this body was preserved. It was actually pulled out of the catacombs, because obviously you're not just going to leave it down there. This is a scientific marvel. And it was exhibited at the Museum of Natural History in Paris, France. This article, you know, a lot of people really, really like this article. It's cool. A lot of people looked into it. Apparently, there is not in France a place called the Museum of Natural History, nor has there ever been. That's what other researchers have said. They go, maybe they meant this museum or this museum. But when you have a detail that's verifiably false, it really puts a suspect on the rest of the story. So from a scientific perspective, this story didn't happen, right? But from a par in, in the world of the paranormal, this could happen. And just like the story from 1990 that I covered, where they said nationally rumored ghost story, this was going all over the news, the only article I could find that talked about the Mets Elementary School and ghost was one article. So just because it's only in one newspaper doesn't mean it's fake. Now, there's other stuff that can make it be fake, a 50-pound spider existing today. But in the world of the paranormal, we accept these type of things. So I don't throw that out as, as the end-all be-all. But I do want to cover that as well. It's only in one newspaper. Newspaper has some factual 
issues. I love this story, though, because I this is one of the stories that I believe could be real. Because I love because I love monsters. Like, why wouldn't I want a world? Why wouldn't I want a world filled with mysterious monsters coming out of the catacombs? This creature, long thought dead, existing down there, and it's only it needs to feed once a year, and this is where it lives. And a giant spider in a place known for giant activity, like old myths. The Basque mythology is very, very giant heavy, and that's in this region. Giant men, giant spiders, right? That's how it works, right? Minute Bull has giant guinea pigs hanging out with them. You have this location known for its gigantism and you have this giant spider. I love it. I think it's super creepy. I really, really do. I love everything about it. I love giant spiders. I love people fighting back against monsters. And it's a, I love this story and we'll end it up like this because humans like to think that we're the masters of the planet because we can reshape it. We can harness the power of the sun and the wind. We can split the atom. But the surface of the world is the tip of the iceberg, right? Like what is inside the world? What is in the oceans? Endless catacombs, tunnels, caves. What is in there? Beasts, monsters, creatures of darkness. Things that we can never even imagine because they're so removed from our environment. We are unknown to each other. But every so often, one of these monsters gets loose. Every so often, one of these creatures crawls closer and closer to the surface. Now, within the planet, resources are fairly scarce. It's brutal. It's dark. Every day is a fight for survival. They don't even know what the day is. They've never seen the sun. But every moment is a fight for survival. But one of these creatures eventually makes its way closer and closer to the surface and realizes... On the surface, everything is food. It's lush and vibrant, and everything's squishy. Everything's frail. Your body has evolved to combat monsters from the abyss, but on the surface, the creatures have simply evolved to think and walk upright and use thumbs to write letters. Delicious morsels everywhere, unarmed, unarmored, and unaware of your existence. The creatures that inhabit our planet, but live in the darkness underneath us, are they the true masters of the world? The only reason why civilization exists is because they haven't come up in mass. They haven't discovered us as a species yet. Every so often one of them may We call it a cryptid. We call it a monster. We call it impossible. And go on with our lives. But if one day more of these creatures from the pitch blackness beneath our feet rise up, will we be able to stop them? It took a legion of French police to take down one spider that was unaware that they were even in there. What would happen if thousands, if millions of these creatures crawled out of the crevices in a single night? Would man remain the top of the food chain? Or would we simply be prey, be food to the creatures beneath us? You may not believe in the existence of giant spiders, but as you find yourself webbed up with your family in your house, staring at your loved ones with pleading eyes, help me, 
Help me. But nobody can help anyone. These spiders have conquered the planet. They're laying eggs inside of your body. You can feel your flesh undulate. Uh, uh. Takes days for them to eat through your organs. Somehow you're still alive. <laughs> Somehow you're still alive. <laughs> Read the newspaper. <laughs> New York Times is like more spiders invading. You're like, look, you're like, oh man, what's well, the sports page? <laughs> it's the spiders eating a bunch of football players. Ah, and the spiders are keeping you alive. They're eating your organs, and you're like, oh, they're eating the organs you don't really need at first. They're like, oh, pancreas, nom, nom, nom. and then your appendix, nom, nom, nom. but then eventually, like right before you die, you start to see your skin kind of split open, and you're watching all these little spiders. Crawl out of the opening in your rotting flesh. You've now given birth to a whole new generation of these monstrous spiders. The only reason why we think we run the world is because we have not encountered our true competitors. Yet. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.